Clemenotis, Daddy Loves You. Okay, shout out today to our sponsors, Tectonic Coffee and Indosol Footwear. Go to either of those websites, get the best coffee in the world as far as I'm concerned. Tectonic Coffee are located in LA and they are a coffee roasting business that have ethics at their core. Fair trade everything. They deliver worldwide and if you use the promo code THT at checkout, you will get a discount. So get on it. It's tectonic, T-E-C-T-O-N-I-C, coffee.com. Same with Indosol, best footwear. They make like thongs or flip-flops and slides and other types of footwear, but all their footwear is made from repurposed motor vehicle tires. So they're taking motor vehicle tires out of landfill and putting them on your feet. So use the promo code THT at checkout and you will get a 15% discount and you'll help me in continue to produce weekly episodes. Also, uh, a really big one for me today is the um, is a really good friend of mine, Tim Fidgel. Now, he's a Canadian who was a previous administrator at the Green School in Bali. He's now branched off and started up his own initiative called the Ashtanga, Ashtankara Way. And that's a, a beautiful initiative supporting the local community. Now, they're establishing regenerative, which I can't speak today, they're regenerating farming and learning centers throughout Bali. So they're teaching the people there how to grow their own food. So in, in these times of severe economic hardship, uh, they're supporting communities to grow their own food. They're doing it non-for-profit, but just to put food in people's bellies and at the same time build quality, nutrient-dense soil that is sustainable, chemical and pesticide-free. And they're starting a global movement. Um, it's founded by Tim Fidgel and his team. Uh, which are the local um, elders and the farmers of the um, of, of Bali, and um, I could go on and on about about Tim and he and his vision, but basically he's someone who cares about people, he cares about communities, he cares about climate change, and wants to make growing food a, a viable component of of Bali's future development, but also the world. Um, he believes that people need to learn and connect with their food and where it comes from, and that is the, that's the start of, of a profound change in the world. So I worked with Tim and his team in the rice fields of uh, Subak Umalambing, teaching, and we were teaching and learning how to grow and harvest rice in a sustainable manner. So if you want to learn more about his initiative, um, you can follow them on Insta- Instagram. It's the Ashtankara, which is A-S-T-U-N-G-K-A-R-A-Y, on Instagram, and they also have a website. And if you go to their website, you can actually learn how you can be involved in their programs and literally like do it from whatever country you're in. And hopefully, when the borders open, you can actually go and, and work with Tim and the team and learn these practices firsthand. I'm having a good time. You are. Yeah. I can tell. And we are rolling. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Today's guest is Dr. Changa Kuru Kularatni. Did I get that right, Dr. Changa? Yes, you did. <laughs> Dr. Ch- Dr. Changa is a medical doctor specializing in infectious diseases, infection prevention and control, and tropical medicine. He has collaborated with regional and global health entities, including the World Health Organization, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. Among others, Changa obtained American Board of Internal Medicine certifications in internal medicine and infectious diseases and was indoctrinated as a fellow in the Academy of Public Health 
outbreak management and disaster response. He has served as a consultant to various governments, health ministries and national level COVID task forces. Changa is well published in the medical literature across a variety of disciplines, including COVID-19. Aside from his highly esteemed credentials, accolades and experience, Changa is first and foremost a family man who cares about the future health of his children and sustainable health practices. Today, Changa is with me live from his home in Sri Lanka to share his experiences, challenges and hopes for the future. Dr. Changa Kurukularatni, welcome. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, thank you. It's, it's, it's great to connect with you again. And I miss seeing you and I miss spending time with you. And, and I miss our conversations very much that we used to have in Bali during our time there. Like, oh, man, likewise. And, you know, it's just such a profound pleasure to speak to someone of such, like, high esteem, in my opinion, uh, and, and also progressive in your mindset. I just, I've been inspired by you from the day I met you. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Shannon. And I'm, and I'm noticing a number 75 here. It's, uh, I, I think I was probably the first or second on the podcast and you've done an amazing job keeping it going. And, and I couldn't be more proud to be a part of this. Oh, thanks, Dr. Changa. Yeah, you were episode, from my recollection, I think you were episode number three. And then I had you on again, um, and you did a talk about dengue fever and malaria. Oh, no, sorry, you were episode two originally. And then I had you on again, and I can't quite remember, so. <laughs> Neither can I, so we're okay there. <laughs> so um, so give me a quick rundown. How's Sri Lanka today? What's what's the weather like? Give, give the listeners a bit of a, a lowdown on Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, so we've had a, we've had a bit of rain um, the last few weeks. Uh, you know, we need the rain, so you know how people are. You know, if it rains too much, people grumble. If it doesn't rain at all, people grumble. But we, we like the rain. We welcome it. And uh, this morning, there's a there's a bit of a break from the rain. Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit cloudy, uh, but it's nice and comfortable. It uh, it's a good day to to sit back and have a conversation with an old friend. Yeah, great man. And how are the children are they um, adapting to? To school well? Are they are they travelling okay? Yeah, they're they're doing well. Uh, I'm 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 homeschooling the the younger two, and uh, and I found a, a little school for the older the older two. So so everyone's you know for now in their in their happy place as far as uh, you know education is concerned. So 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 we're good there. And how how about your family, Shannon? All is well. Everyone's healthy and happy, you know. And I mean that's, that's great. That's primarily the focus. I mean, we are in such strange, strange times, you know. And exactly. I think, like you, myself, there's been a lot of upheaval. There's been a lot of change. And I'm personally still trying to work out if 2020 is the worst year ever for me or the best year ever. I really don't know anymore, okay? How would you describe 2020, you know, in, a, in your opinion? It's... Um... I think it's a, it's a year of of uh, you know of, of polar opposites, and I think this is probably the reason behind uh, what you just said as well. Uh, it's it's forced us out of our comfort zones. Uh, it really has uh, on a global scale, hasn't it? So so that has its pros and cons. So 
you know, it's 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 one thing for us, you know, you, me, and 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 the majority of people that are in our social circles to to kind of have the luxury to talk about, you know, how twenty twenty has been, uh, because if we are able to sit down and actually talk about it, we're already in a good place because. As you know, Shannon, the communities and people that you know and the communities and people that I know, 2020 has really turned their lives upside down uh, that they, they don't even have the, the luxury to sit down and, and pontificate or, or, or think about a concept where they are fighting for their next meal. So, so it's, it's really, um, it's, it's as if, you know, someone just took the earth and shook it and, and, put all of, of, of humankind outside of their comfort zones. And, uh, you know, it's a tremendous opportunity for, for growth. It's a tremendous opportunity for recalibrating one's life. Uh, but for the vast majority, it has been an insurmountable shock to all systems, to livelihood, uh, to health and, and, and to life. So uh, it's... Uh, Suffice to say that 2020, in our lifetime, we have never seen uh, something like this. True. Where do your personal frustrations lie at the moment with the situation that the world is in? It's the lack of unity. It's a lack of kindness. It's a lack of empathy. It's all of these things that we try to inculcate in our children. we don't see it. And, you know, if there, if there were ever an opportunity to set aside political um, viewpoints, uh, political alliances, uh, and come together as, as one in humankind, this was it. Yes. This was it. And we saw that happen uh, in at, at community levels in many countries where communities got together and, and, and helped each other out and and it did bring out the best in people in, 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 in certain instances. But the opportunity that the larger political platform had to really take stock of, of where things were headed and then to right the ship uh, and, and, and do the right thing, I, I feel, was squandered and and uh, the masses don't help. You know, they would pick one camp or another, camps with uh, polarizing viewpoints, uh, with opposing viewpoints. I mean, if we get right down to it, um, one camp would really take uh, the COVID-19 situation very seriously and do everything possible to, to avert things getting worse. And there's the other camp who say that, well, this is all political, this is... Uh, blown out of proportion, there's a hidden agenda uh, behind uh, every recommendation that comes out. So you have these two extremes. Uh, And, uh, or should I rephrase, we have these two camps. Mm. And what's forgotten in all of this is how this phenomenon has touched human lives. And I think if we just stop and put our personal views aside for the greater good and come together and help each other, 
Okay. I think that would have been uh, that would have been an amazing an amazing um, thing to see, and uh, and I think on a global platform we're yet to see that. I I love that you said that that there's the lack of unity, and you're right. I mean, it is such an amazing opportunity for I think world leaders to come together. Something that they can they can meet on a level playing field and 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 move forward as a united front. And I think that's where I'm finding, like you said, these polarizing views very difficult. I mean, can conspiracy theorists are just running crazy right now. And I guess as a as a medical professional. Hello, I think I might have lost you there, Doctor no, Changa. I'm here. Uh, okay, sorry, it sounded um, like it dropped out. Let's keep going. No, um, sometimes they they have these low flying aircraft, so I'll try to mute it when that happens. Oh no! Oh, that's nice of you. You don't need to do that. Background okay. noises. Okay, I can I can work with that. But we'll keep going. Um, I guess what I I was just talking about. I mean, we have a lot of people who have become, I guess, armchair professionals. You know, um, they're. They're forming opinions based on on media sources. From a, a more of a pragmatic level, as a as a medical professional, and given the amount of deaths that have occurred due to COVID nineteen, how has your opinion of COVID nineteen evolved since it became um, a pandemic? That's a that's a great place to start, Shannon. So. Uh, COVID-19 has been uh, very close to our hearts here in Sri Lanka. Um, and I happened to uh, work closely with the government here in, in, in the measures that were, that were implemented. And I, you know, took on some projects that, uh, that were successfully implemented um, with regards to COVID-19. One of the things that, that, uh, that I'll always remember is um, there's a, a cricket match between my old high school and uh, and our rival high school that that uh, if i'm not mistaken is the uh, probably the the um, longest uninterrupted cricket encounter in the world it uh, didn't stop for world war 1 and it didn't stop for world war 2 you know every every year these two schools got together to to play their annual cricket match and this happened right around the time that covid-19 was becoming an issue in sri lanka in mid march and you know the the, the cricket game took place um, there was a lot of uh, concern uh, whether the the game would be cancelled and for the first time in in uh, over a century you know whether we would have wow. to miss a year so that came and went and there was some concern about um the spread of covid-19 at the game but that fortunately didn't pan out and almost immediately after this cricket encounter was when the country went into a shutdown and um today you know fast forward to 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 the present day Uh, Sri Lanka is in a very good place as far as COVID nineteen is concerned. Uh, for a country of you know twenty one million people, uh, we've had you know twelve uh, documented deaths. Uh, that's twelve wow. deaths we wish we didn't have, but uh, we are acutely aware that um, 
a lot of other countries are far worse off. So getting back to how my views have evolved uh, initially in, in any outbreak when it starts, whether it's uh, Nipah virus, whether it's influenza, whether it's uh, you know SARS or SARS-1 or COVID-19 as in this case, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, that a new outbreak brings simply because it's new. And as the name okay. suggests, the novel coronavirus is a new virus and there's, there are a lot of unknowns. And that's a very uh, highly charged and dangerous situation for, for people to be in because on the one hand there's panic and on the other hand there's the, the great unknown and, uh, and uh, you know, along with all of this, uh, there are vested interests and, uh, as you alluded to, conspiracy theories. And it can be used uh, as, a, as a weapon to divide people, to divide communities. The, the uncertainty and hysteria? Absolutely. So if, if, uh, if there's a situation that's relatively unknown, uh, uncertain, uh, as in a uh, new virus causing a pandemic, there's great opportunity for people to take that narrative and manipulate it to suit their own agendas, isn't it? And, and this could be at a political level, this could be at a social level, this could be even within, let's hypothetically take a family unit, you know, and this is completely hypothetical, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a, a family where, uh, let's say there are teenagers in the household and the parents really don't want the teenagers going out and having the kind of social life that they did, you could say, well, it's COVID-19, uh, you're going to be indoors. I mean, that may seem like an overly simple example, but that is one where, in this case, uh, uh, figures of authority, parents, who... There may be two, uh, two possible uh, motives here. One, which I hope is, is the overwhelming majority, is that parents want the best for their children. And yes. they would say that, look, it's, it's safer to be at home. And that's f- absolutely fine. But could there be a hidden agenda where a parent you know, wants to exert their power and authority and control in a way that um, cannot be questioned in an unhealthy manner? Uh, so could COVID-19 be used as a quote-unquote excuse in that situation? Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, I've seen that happen with, uh, you know, with my friends' families and, and people that I know. So so if this can happen at uh, the level of, of the nucleus in our community, which is the family, then it can happen at the community level, you know, at, uh, at a national level and a global level. So So we've seen varying degrees of examples of where COVID-19 has been uh, manipulated to suit people's agendas. And that's what I'm most disappointed and sad about because we have people's lives, livelihoods, uh, the integrity of communities, the well-being of our children, uh, the well-being of, uh, of our elderly, uh, our, the health of our economies. We have so many things to 
to worry about and so many things to, to nurture and to take care of. But yet, you know, we engage in these other uh, things that, uh, that are actually counterproductive. Wow, man. So if, that's profound. You, so you're saying that the foundation of the fear starts in the family. If that's the, if that is, I mean, in no, you're sort of sort of alluding to that that you know, like there's this the fact that it was a new virus, you know, and there was uncertainty, there was a lot of unknowns, which obviously leads to fear, and you feel that that fear can be manipulated on a family level right up to a national government level. If that's the case, what what advice then would you give to families in regards to addressing that fear of this virus? I think that's, um, I think families, I truly believe, are doing the best they can. Um, families have to look up to their community leaders, their politicians, uh, their health experts to guide them, right, through a pandemic. That's the least that we expect as, as citizens of a community, of a country, uh, of a nation, or citizens of the world. We look to our leaders to provide that leadership. Uh, in a manner that's uh, uh, that's in our best interest. Um, in and honestly, I feel tremendously lucky to be in Sri Lanka because we've we've um, had that and, and we are enjoying the benefits of that. And so, sorry, just to hmm? stop you, that you're you're you are commending the leaders of Sri Lanka. Well, if if we look at how the COVID-19 pandemic situation was handled so far. Were there camps that were unhappy? Absolutely, yes. But if you ask any Sri Lankan, you know, are they happy to be in Sri Lanka today uh, from the perspective of COVID-19? The answer would be a unanimous yes. I don't think you could find anybody here uh, who would say that they are not happy with, with the way things are, you know, there's no uh, large-scale community spread. Uh, yeah. Knock on wood, I don't want to jinx anything. Um, schools are opened. Businesses are opened. Um, you know, um, the economy has, has, has awakened. And, uh, you know, the only thing uh, that is still not in operation is the airport. The airport is, is closed uh, to tourists. And that's a, that's a huge... Um, point of discussion that's ongoing. Of course, there are two camps, as with everything else. One camp uh, will tell you that, look, we just have to keep the airport closed for now because we can't afford uh, an influx of COVID-19. And on the other side, uh, people will talk about how important tourism is to a country like Sri Lanka and how at, uh, at various layers uh, the economy is so dependent on tourism. And uh, and I don't envy the position of the government. They have to consider all of these things, and at the end of the day, they have to make a decision. And history will, you know, be a, a harsh judge of, of whichever that decision is. But uh, so far, uh, I think I speak for, for most people when when I say that we are very happy with where we are today. Uh, could it be better? Absolutely. Are there families suffering? Absolutely. Do I wish that tourism was back to uh, you know, 2019 levels in this country? Absolutely. I mean, tourism in Sri Lanka was just on the cusp of becoming, uh, reaching its true potential that we all knew it could reach. 
um, and we had a double whammy. We had the uh, the terrorist bombings uh, on Easter, uh, mm. and then uh, and that was a, a tremendous shock to all of us. And then then we had COVID. So um, it's it seems like it's hard to catch a break. And uh, but but uh, Sri Lanka has always been. Uh, uh, resilient people, and, and you know, gone through a thirty-year civil war, and and uh, so it's been it's been tough. And um, but as far as COVID nineteen is concerned, I think um, if we look at what's happening in India, our closest neighbor, the situation couldn't be more different. I'm assuming the situation similar to Australia in terms of social isolation, social isolating restrictions. Um, social distancing measures is that what's in place in Sri Lanka right now? Well, it that that really took place uh, during the height of the pandemic in in, in April um, and May. But right now, if I want to go to the grocery store, I can simply uh, walk or drive there. And once I get to the supermarket, you know, I still have to wash my hands. Before coming in, I'll have to wear a face mask. Uh, but once inside, uh, you don't have technically uh, very, very strict social distancing policies in place now. Of course, people are mindful about not crowding one another at the checkout counters. But it's certainly not as strict as it was before, where even you know standing to 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 enter the the supermarket, we had to maintain. Uh, uh, a certain distance, uh, so those have have eased, and and I feel rightfully so. But people still are required to wear a face mask when coming in and, and clean their hands and and so on and so forth. But it, you know, schools have opened up, uh, businesses have opened up for work, and uh, so a lot of the uh, inputs have been eased, and so far it's holding, and. Uh, so it's 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 one of those things that I think uh, the ball has bounced um, in in favor of of Sri Lanka at least uh, at least at this well, point. I mean, 12, 12, 12 deaths nationwide. It's pretty impressive. I mean, it's, I mean, sorry. I, I mean, I, I, the loss of any life is a tragedy, but that would be considered quite a low number compared to many other countries. Right, and and the issue of of. COVID-19 is, I mean, I have friends who have very varying viewpoints. I mean, some of some of my friends believe that uh, this is all uh, a political gimmick, that this is just a bad flu and people don't even have to wear face masks. You can just go about your, your daily uh, routines. You shouldn't be restricted. Uh, and so I have, you know, groups of friends who feel that way, you know, internationally in, in, in many countries. Um, and then I have another group of friends who really want to do everything they can to, uh, you know, in their to keep their family safe, to keep themselves safe, and and to to do right by the community as they see it. So I'm in an interesting position where I see both these groups, and I interact with both these groups who have very very opposing viewpoints, and um, and. You know, I, I wish that the common thread uh, that unites us in this is one of 
kindness and one of empathy rather than uh, just wanting to be right about whichever viewpoint that they that they believe in so kind kindness and empathy in acceptance of other people's opinions oh no i i, I uh, what i meant to say was um, kindness and empathy towards one another um has you know have people lost their lives to covid-19 absolutely and have people lost jobs and their livelihood and their ability to provide for their families because of covid-19 absolutely um and these are people from all walks of life these are people from all levels of uh, socioeconomic uh, backgrounds and so covid-19 has affected all of us in some way and i believe that um um the empathy and kindness that we can show to one another um could have been at a much larger scale okay you know dr changa one um common viewpoint and opinion that i hear quite regularly in australia um sorry <laughs> that's okay it's fine a common viewpoint that i've heard time and time again since the pandemic began was that um oh you know it's the flu the flu is much more dangerous than covid-19 more people die of the flu every day than covid-19 and uh this is just an overreaction and you sort of touched on it a little bit earlier and i'm also very aware that there is you know vast amounts of data and there's vast amounts of i guess interpretation of the data that is out in regards to it and if i reflect upon australian society as it is right now um where most people i know don't know anyone that is sick i mean i still have not met a single person that has had covid-19 um i don't know anyone that has covid-19 and they don't know people for many people here in australia covid-19 seems like a really big inconvenience um borders are closed including state borders um there's curfews in various states of our country where people can't go out after 8 o'clock at night um down in victoria and yeah there's this there's a there's an underlying theme of this is just overkill this is this is not as bad as the flu i hear that time and time again and i think i might have said it myself but i'm not an expert and either of these other people in your opinion how dangerous do you think covid-19 is now now that we're 6 months into it do you think it's as deadly as as we've been told it is So I'm, I'm going to as an excellent I think that's really the crux of the matter and I'm, and I'm glad that you brought it up Shannon because we should face these issues head on instead of you know tiptoeing around them and I'm happy to do that um so oh, I'll yeah. share with you some things that are unique about covid-19 the flu or influenza as as we we commonly refer to as a flu it's seasonal right so we there's a very predictable season that we call the flu season and for as far back as we can remember the health systems oh, I've lost you Kinga. you know so as far back as we can remember you know health systems can gear up and prepare for seasonal flu outbreaks uh, and there's you know many countries okay. have very solid plans and policies in in place on how to meet you know each year's flu season and with covid-19 there's no seasonality it's 
you know, it can happen during spring, summer, autumn and winter. Um, and, and there may be some fluctuations there, but it's clearly not a seasonal illness. So it's it's been with us, you know, for this long and then there's a prediction that it'll be with us for, for time to come. So I just want to look at COVID-19 from what it does to healthcare systems in each country. Okay. And this is where all arguments should come to rest. If there's any illness or condition that's going to fill up your hospitals, that's going to occupy your hospital beds in a disproportionately high manner. Okay, Now, that could be a dengue epidemic that's extremely bad. That could be an outbreak of cholera in a small community. Uh, that could be a COVID-19 pandemic. Whatever uh, situation that threatens to overwhelm a country's healthcare system in its ability to provide healthcare to its people is a threat. Right. So, um, so as I was saying, so which, if there's any threat, it could be a, a terrorist threat, it could be a food crisis, it could be any threat to health and well-being of, of human beings. If that threat overwhelms a health system in a country, then that creates a huge problem in that that health system then is no longer able to provide and treat the conditions that they treat on a day-to-day -day basis. So, for example, I'll greatly simplify the, the matter. If there's a hospital with 100 beds in a community and at any given time there's about a 60 or 70% bed occupancy rate which means 70 beds are occupied at any given time. And this is the steady state for that hospital. The number of doctors, the number of nurses, the number of pharmacists, the number of janitors, uh, the people who work in the kitchen, uh, the maintenance staff, the facility engineers, everyone that comes together to make this hospital function does so at a comfortable level, at an effective level, let's say at a 70% occupancy rate. Now, if there's a threat to this community that forces 98% of the hospital beds to be occupied at any given time, and there could be anything, I'm not necessarily talking about COVID here, any threat that drives up a hospital occupancy rate to near capacity levels will result in a complete system breakdown. You know, people who just look at simple arithmetic will say, well, you still have 2% of beds. But what people fail to understand is that the capacity threshold of a hospital working effectively has many, many different factors. It's not just the number of nurses, it's the number of nurses who can relieve the nurses who are working because there are shifts, people need time off, people have to have uh, a practical and healthy work-life balance in order to function optimally. It's not the number of doctors. It's, again, how long can you sustain this extremely high uh, occupancy rates? And it's all of the supplies. It's all of the, the paraclinical staff. It's all of the people who come together to make this hospital work. 
that will be stretched to a point where they can no longer provide effective care. Now, when 98 beds are full, let's say there are three people who come in with heart attacks to this hospital. Mm. Their outcomes are going to be far worse than were they to come in when the hospital had only 70 beds occupied. It's a given. There's, there's yes. no way you can shy away from this. So, in this context, if we talk about COVID-19, whatever measures we can take so that COVID-19 will not overwhelm a country's healthcare system, then that's going to be a good thing. Because an overwhelmed healthcare system cannot provide the general day-to-day -day care for whatever ailment, whether it's trauma, motor vehicle accidents, strokes, heart attacks, kidney failure, cancers, you name it. So if we lose our ability to provide healthcare to our communities, no matter what caused it, that's going to be a catastrophe. So this, I believe, is where the buck should stop. This, I believe, is where people should uh, leave their arguments outside when they come into this domain, is how do we make sure that our healthcare systems retain their ability to treat our people? Wow. So fundament fundamentally, you think it's that simple, regardless of how dangerous the virus is. It's, it's about protecting the healthcare systems from potential overwhelming. Well, I, there are other important um, factors that that uh, that surround COVID nineteen. Very, very important factors. But this, I believe, is something that no one can dispute. Uh, that no one can no. can argue. There's no. There's very little room to say. Well, it doesn't matter if a healthcare system gets overwhelmed because people come to hospitals with uh, with uh, with with fevers, with coughs inability to breathe uh, no one can say no one can say well, we don't care if the hospitals fill up it's going to be okay mm -hmm. it's not going to be okay so it is i feel it is that one uh, scenario or one fact that uh, is very hard to dispute so yes. if there's something that's going to cause an overwhelming of our healthcare systems we must avoid it and we avoid it for ourselves for our families and for our community, I mean, if I'm, if I partake in whatever irresponsible behavior that contributes to a healthcare system being overwhelmed, and I'm not speaking of COVID, this, take a hypothetical example of anything, right? If you, if we were to be faced with a situation where, um, I'm going to bring a ridiculous example for simplicity's sake, where there's going to be, um, a worsening of a certain condition if I wear white socks to work. Okay? Right. But I don't care. I'm going to wear the white socks to work because I want to wear white socks. But because of the rules of the game, wearing white socks to work will overwhelm the healthcare system in my community, in my country. But I do it anyway. Sure. But my child just had an accident and I have to rush the child to the hospital. So, and I brought, I, I, I consciously brought a ridiculous example because people can't uh, argue about this. I and mean, white socks certainly don't lead to any overwhelming of a healthcare system. But I just want to 
to use that as as a representative um, line of thought. If there's mm-hmm. anything that we can do to make sure that our hospitals, our clinics, our public health arms, our public health officials, our uh, government healthcare sectors are not overwhelmed, then we should do that. Okay. For us, and I for agree. the sake of our families and our communities. It's, it's as simple as and, that, honestly. And it, it is, and you explain it so well, and I understand what you're saying. However, we're six months in, and for, I know in Australia and I know in many other countries, our, health, our healthcare systems haven't been bombarded and they have been able to function, um, you know, to a certain level of, of normal capacity. Um, however, there are people losing their businesses. There is family breakdown. Mental health statistics are starting to now go through the roof. Suicide's on the rise. What's the what? Where to now? When, when does it end? Is what I want to know. Right, and that's the other other part that we have to talk about. Okay, so we are absolutely right. I mean, if we have a hospital that's seventy percent uh, occupied. But if our suicide rate at home goes up 200%, then we've lost. Mm. Then we've lost. So this is where honest, strong, transparent, people-centric leadership must come in. It's not too different from parenting, honestly, is there? I mean, I have a, you know, when I'm inundated with, you know, 25 different things to do, you know, I would say to my child, uh, just do this because, you know, I'm asking you to do this, just do it, right? So that will work, you know, in, in that immediate moment. Right. But if I keep coming back to that default, you know, just do it because, you know, I'm your father and I'm asking you to do it, just, just do it. Just trust me. Yeah, that's, you know, that's not going to, to be sustainable. So at the first opportunity... What I should do as a parent is, you know, when, when, when I have a moment, I say, look, you know, this is why I wanted, you know, to do this thing at that moment in time. I didn't have time to explain because of this. But here I am, you know, telling you this is what was at stake and this is why I wanted you to do this. And, you know, how do you feel about it? And if the situation comes up again, you know, tell me what, what, what you would feel and, and, and help me understand this from your perspective. Right? right? So, now do I do this every time, Shannon? No, I wish I could. A lot of times, you know, with, with, with four children and managing a, a household by myself, there's a lot of, you know, just do it, please. I'm asking you. Yeah. And I get through the day. But, but I do try, you know, when there's a bit of a, Allow to kind of you know debrief everyone and, and say look you know this is where we're headed uh, this is what this week is going to look like and these are some of the things that we need to do and these are some of the problems that we might come and this is how we're going to avoid those problems so I think if um, if you know leadership could be uh, a nurturing a more transparent a more supportive um, form and if leadership could set a good example. I mean, I've, I know a, a lot of countries, when we look at what's happening, 
it's a lot of well, do as I say and not as I do, right? Yes. So just like it would send a very confusing message to a child, it sends very confusing messages to a nation. So, which leads to mm-hmm. confusion and disharmony. Right. Which leads to con- confusion and dis- then disharmony, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And and people have reason for mistrust. Okay, there's there's you know there are instances where countries, where governments have have done things to to suit themselves to with a, with a hidden agenda that have come out you know years decades later. So. You know, a few examples here and there is enough to feel a lot of mistrust in the global community about, you know, who's calling the shots and why are they doing this? Do they have a hidden agenda? And and that's a sad reality of, of our times and not of our times, probably since the beginning of, of humanity. Um, so that um, disconnect between um, the leadership or the government and the citizens or the community, that disconnect has really, really served to uh, to be showcased, you know, during COVID-19. And once we clear COVID-19, it'll be the next big crisis that shows us that divide. Ah, yeah. So, I mean, this is what I was going to, I wanted to get to next a little bit. I mean, I feel like leadership is definitely taking what we, we could describe as a, a triage response or a curative approach to the situation, which is completely understandable. You know, like I, I sort of see face mask wearing and social distancing as um, as immediate and short-term solutions, but how can an individual empower themselves long-term to pr- 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 protect themselves from, you know, um, susceptibility to contracting a, a a virus such as COVID-19? Right. I think that's an excellent question, Shannon. And I think there's an excellent way to way to approach this. We've seen what a mess the world was in over the last six months. And perhaps a lot of us globally may feel that, look, it's every person for himself or herself. Right? Sure. So I'm saying absolutely take that. Take that chip on your shoulder. Believe that it's every person for himself or herself and get healthy. Okay. And I've started. Thank you. This, I've started this journey too. Because when I, when I was working, you know, 20 hours a day, you know, in, in, in COVID related things, I, my own health got neglected. And then I, you know, stopped and said, look, there's no point if I try to do all of this and I get COVID and there's no one left to look after my children. So, so, gotcha. um, so I made very conscious efforts of, of making healthy choices. And and again, it's a luxury for us to be able to make healthy choices. There are lots of people who have no choice whatsoever except, um, you know, to, to deal with the day that they've been dealt with. So, but for those of us who can, those of us who have the ability to choose, um, if it's going out there and getting more sunlight so you have, plenty of vitamin D and, and all the benefits that come with sunlight, you know, to your immune system and, and to your mood. If there's anything you can do to get good sleep, because we know that, gotcha. that having good sleep is so, so important to your overall health and immune system. Uh, if there's anything you can do to increase a bit of movement, you know, how, how you move throughout the day, uh, movement is very important. 
if there's anything we can do to relieve stress, and this is easier said than done, especially in in times of COVID nineteen. And this is this is an area where I personally, that was my uh, number one uh, point of emphasis in my life, and I started two interventions to to try and decrease the amount of stress that I'm under because. To me, as an infectious disease specialist and immunologist, that is my number one priority in my life: is to to manage my stress levels better, and right. and um, that's going to have direct and almost immediate impacts on my immune system. So it's 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 how I feel, it's how I am internally, it's what I eat and what I choose not to eat, and what I choose to do with my day. Um, it's what I choose to do with, uh, you know, at least in the case of Sri Lanka, the sunlight is, is plentiful. I have no excuse. So yeah. how often do I go outside and, and try to do things outside, outdoors? It's, so it's all of these things that people can do to get healthy at a cellular level, right? Down to your cells. Because, and I think I may have mentioned this in, in, in our very, the very first time that we spoke, mm-hmm. um, on paper, Shannon, I don't have diabetes, I don't have high blood pressure, I don't have kidney disease. So if I go to a doctor, I have, you know, an empty sheet where you have to put in your past, you know, medical problems. But that's just a lack of labels. That does not mean, you know, health. I still have a long way to go in terms of being healthy. And uh, poor sleep and an undue amount of stress are number one and number two things on my own personal medical issue list that will not be reflected uh, anytime I go to a regular doctor. Right? So, so this is number one and number two for me. I actually invested in a, in a better mattress just uh, a week ago. And, uh, and, it's, and it's been a tremendous uh, benefit. And uh, you know, I've, I've, tweaked, I've tweaked with the sleeping arrangements, you know, because... All, all four kids would basically sleep on top of me, which was horrible for my sleep. <laughs> so I managed to, you know, tweak that a bit, and then along with the with the two things that I'm doing for uh, for stress management, that's that's my priority, and so that's how I want to safeguard myself against not only COVID nineteen, but a host of other things. And who knows, maybe even things like cancer. I'm not sure, but I'm going to do it anyway because it makes sense to me. Mm. Dude, you know what, man? Like, seriously, to hear a medical professional say that is such a relief to me. All I feel like I hear in the mainstream media constantly is professionals, you know, on these mainstream media outlets, the constant message I feel like I'm hearing is wear a face mask, sanitize, social distance. Um, And I'm sorry, like, I, it's very rare that I'm hearing medical professionals openly announce get more sleep, eat better food, get sunlight, sleep, um, de-stress your life. I mean, these messages, in my opinion, aren't being promoted on, on enough and definitely not on a large-scale level. So to hear you sit there and say that, like, it's really – it's it's just really refreshing. So thanks, man. No, that 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 should be the case. And and I left out one important thing, and that's to connect with people around you. Um, Thank you. You know, don't isolate yourself because very easily a day can become a week, can become two months. And and I 
it's I, irony. I just told myself yesterday that once a week I'm going to set aside time to actually, you know, connect face to face with one of my friends. Uh, we're going to sit down and have coffee, and I'm going to do that once a week. Uh, and again, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that that I feel blessed that I'm in a position to actually be able to do that because Shannon, guess what? 95% of people on this planet right now can't even think about doing that. Right. So I'm, I'm filled with the gratitude that, um, that, Hey, you know, I, I can set aside time and I have the means to actually make this happen. Um, but if you take a community that's stressed beyond their limits, it's a simple act of, of communicating, of just looking out for the other person that can generate a sense of belonging in that community. And that, the, the, the fact, if, if we can help each other feel that, look, we are not alone. We have each other. We may not have much, but we have each other. We have this community. Uh, you know, whatever we have, we will share. Uh, just that knowing, just that knowledge, I mean, I don't have to be a mental health expert to say what that does to things like suicide rates and depression. Yeah, totally. Right. So Amazing these are the things that, that we can focus on. And, and I, you know, this, this issue of masks, um, you know, do I wear a mask when I go to a supermarket? Yes, I do. Um, do I clean my hands? Yes, I do. I mean, because for me personally, I don't think that's that's asking too much of okay. me in the current context that I'm in. Okay. Well, I'm um, going to put you on the spot a little bit. I'm going to yes. put you on the spot here. Do you, do you believe that constantly using hand sanitizer and constantly wearing a face mask is actually reducing our cellular resilience? Well, I would, I would prefer that we wash our hands with soap and water. Why? What's the difference? There's a huge difference between hand sanitizer and using soap and water. And the difference is that um, there is absolutely no doubt that clean hands lead to less transmission of coughs and colds. And I'm not asking that people do their whole body sanitizing or keep their environment, you know, spend all of their time keeping everything spick and span and, and, and absolutely germ-free. Um, on the issue of soap and water, I would... I would argue that you should stay away from antibiotic soaps. Okay. Okay. It's just like, and I'm Why? this is this is my area of expertise of antibiotics and infections, right? So just like I wouldn't recommend that my patients take antibiotics unnecessarily, whether you eat them or whether you wash your hands with them, to me it doesn't matter. Okay. What's more important in cleaning your, in in keeping your hands clean? is the actual technique of hand washing and the fact that you use any kind of soap. It doesn't have to be, you know, ideally without antibiotics, without fragrance, even if it's a homemade soap. You can make a soap-like substance with very natural products at home if you really want to. So yeah. keeping your hands clean, and this has got nothing to do with COVID, okay, yeah. is, is something that um, in, a, in an Eastern culture like mine in, in Sri Lanka, We've done for 3,000 years. Okay? We, our traditional greeting is the Ayubo one where we, where we clasp our hands together and greet each other. 
that used to be our traditional greeting and that's come back in a big way because of, of COVID. But if we look back to what our grandparents and our great-grandparents and then their grandparents did, washing hands was was frequent, was often, was thorough. Yeah. It was drilled yeah. into everybody. And this is before politics. This is before uh, COVID. This is before hidden agendas. And... Uh, you know, when we when we visit, you know, ancient ruins that are, you know, that our kingdoms had, the old palaces that are that the ancient kings of Sri Lanka had constructed, you know, water and hygiene was a huge part of of what they emphasized. So, keeping hands clean is not a is not a new age thing, it's not a it's not a uh, hidden political agenda, at least, you know, in in, in my um, country and culture, keeping your hands clean was one of the first things that we learned, and it's been that way for for three thousand years. But you're so, sort of saying that, like alcoholic sanitizers, for example, and anti back uh, antibiotic soaps, they're killing good bacteria. So let me get to that. So the antibiotic soaps will definitely kill the good bacteria, and it will leave a little bit of bacteria that that have acquired the resistance from the antibiotics in the soap. And then the resistant bacteria will multiply and then no amount of antibacterial soap will get rid of those from your hands. Uh, so so there's a danger to using antibacterial soaps out of context. Now, if I were going in for surgery uh, as a part of the pre-surgical protocol, would I want my body washed in an antibacterial soap? Please. Absolutely, Yes. <laughs> but that's but that's for a very specific purpose uh, to use uh, you know antibacterial soaps on a day to day basis. It's not necessary. It is not necessary, and I propose that it could be harmful. Now, soap and water is better than hand sanitizer in every instance, save one or two examples that we have in hospitals. So there are certain spores uh, that. that let me, let me take that back. You know, soap and water is absolutely better in in cleaning hands than hand sanitizers, right? Wow. The hand sanitizers okay. have certain advantages. Um, let's say, you know, you, you clean your hands, but you can't really clean your smartphone. Now, understand that when 2,000 years ago, a hundred years ago, there were no smartphones. People walked around with without carrying too many things in their hands. Now we have wallets, we have smartphones, we have, you know, uh, earbuds. Whatever, whatever we have, have become extensions of our hands, and that's that's happened because of of uh, technological advancement. So, and this has got nothing to do with COVID, Shannon. Absolutely nothing to do with COVID nineteen. No. If if our if our pr- fundamental principle was to keep our hands clean, now we have to worry about a few other things. We have to keep them clean too, because if you clean your hands and then you you pick up your phone that's laden with 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 bad bugs, then you've just defeated the purpose. So, so to to every once in a while to wipe down a smartphone, would uh, you know isopropyl alcohol be useful? Absolutely. And I used to do this way before COVID happened okay. um, so and and hands you know 
if given a choice to clean my hands with hand sanitizer or soap and water, I personally choose soap and water every time. Okay. So that's okay. Uh, and and one thing that we've noticed is because of the hand hygiene practices across industries, you know, the hotel industry, the schools, there's a definite drop in sick days. So the, yeah. the usual coughs and colds have markedly pre- decreased. And this is hard data because we have pre-intervention data from before, you know, the strict hand hygiene policies were implemented. And we have data since the time these policies were implemented. And, you know, of course, it's been half a year, but it's, you know, the, the data is very, very significant that people have fewer sick days off. People get fewer coughs and colds and runny noses. So does that harm your immune system in any way? I don't think so. Now, having an overly clean environment, top to bottom, that can have a deleterious effect based on two things. One is that the cleaning products it takes to maintain such a uh, clean environment could be toxic for you, right? Because it's very difficult to, to establish uh, absolute long-term safety data for most of the cleaning materials that we use. So, uh, and fumes, right? When we use yeah. uh, a chemical to clean a surface, it's not just the surface that, that we have to concern ourselves about. The fumes, the vaporized fumes, will then fill a closed space. And if you oh, access this space every day for two years, you're going to have a deleterious health effects based on uh, on the inhalation of of uh, fumes that are actually toxic for you. So, which is oh, why there's a tremendous. We can't win. So, my own my own uh, way around this is is that you know to to keep our hands clean with soap and water as 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 much as we can. And okay. uh, here in Sri Lanka. Um, when we access public places, nine times out of ten, there's um, a hand washing station with soap that's been installed, so that people can wash their hands first and then go in. So it's not, uh, and I know in other countries, it's the only option is hand sanitizer. So it's it's, yeah. it's different here, where um, we do have hand sanitizers available, but yeah. what's really emphasized is to just wash your hands with soap and water, and I think that's. Thank uh, you. That's just, uh, you know, if someone tells me, look, Chandra, you know, it's, it doesn't make to keep your hands clean with soap and water, then I'd, I might tend to politely disagree. Uh, okay. But the overuse of hand sanitizers good. and chemicals absolutely is something that we should not do. But should we keep wow. our hands clean? It's absolutely, good. yes. And use yes. soap and water for that. Is it going to protect us from COVID-19 though? Yes? Yes. Definitely, because okay, soap, great. because soap cool. has a, just checking. Yeah, because soap soap has a has a, a you know I think if I were COVID nineteen if I were a COVID nineteen virus I would be deathly afraid of soap and not so much against hand sanitizer because of this reason yeah. the the COVID nineteen is an enveloped virus there's an envelope that covers the virus and the soap particles are actually very good at breaking down that envelope. Right. And is it is it safer to be in the because you're in the tropics? Mm-hmm. Is it safer to you think it's countries that are in the tropics um, are less affected by COVID nineteen? I heard I heard uh, I read an article and actually it might have even been you who told me this that the the COVID nineteen molecule is quite a large molecule. 
And so if you're in a humid environment, it can't be – it's not as transmissible. It can't travel as far no, in the air. I, no, I don't think – No? I don't think that's I don't know if you said that, but I don't know if it's from you, but I heard that somewhere. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Do you think the tropics – is safer for that? No, I think case in point is no? uh, is what's happening in the tropics right now. So especially in in, in India, for example, you know, COVID nineteen okay. is a huge problem. And yes, uh, I think in the where this came from was in the beginning there was some uh, there was some belief that um, you know warmer temperatures uh, were, were were not favorable for the for the virus, and and a lot of that came from you know, when we looked at how how long viruses can survive on surfaces. And certainly, you know, in, in, in cool conditions, you know, when you get down to refrigeration levels, the virus can be viable for longer. Uh, but I think that's where that's where it ends. It's it's got very little to do okay. with the um, with the climate. Now, are there okay. are there okay. unexplained things, uh, factors that influence this one way or another, absolutely. Do we know what they are? I don't think so. Um, you know, so so we are still discovering a lot of things about what uh, sways the equation one way or another. I mean, if you if you if you search the world's literature, you, you would find a tremendous amount of information. I mean, I saw one paper the other day that uh, questioned whether being exposed to dengue previously protects you from severe COVID, even though dengue and COVID are two completely different viruses. But these are questions mm. that researchers are, are constantly asking. And um, the issue of vitamin D, you know, that has, you know, I've read a few um, scientific uh, journals on, on, on that issue. And so people are still probing and questioning to find associations and to find relationships between you know what what brings about severe disease and, and and what brings about milder disease so i think lots of questions seem to be answered we're still learning because it's it's novel right it's a right. No, it's a new it's it's new we're still mm-hmm. learning mm. wow man it's it's really good to speak to you changa i said this at the start i i've been you know obviously been affected by the pandemic like the rest of the world and, you know, I've, I've actually gone through these waves of frustration, anger, and then optimism, and then back to frustration. And uh, and I've actually just kind of started um, just turning off the news. And uh, Well, I have. I've, I've, I've done that for a long time. And I've actually just been trying to avoid, you know, reading about it or, or thinking about it. And then... Uh, I just kind of thought one day, I was like, you know what, I just want to, I'm going to talk to Changa about this. I haven't actually had, had a good chat with you about it. And I'm sure that you have a lot of people probably approaching you for your opinion. So, like, I can't thank you enough for your time and perspective. Um, but for me, I just really love the fact that you're promoting these themes of empathy and kindness. And then... The fundamentals of health, such as sleep, exercise, diet. I mean, that's. I think, in my opinion, if we strip it back to those things, it's the most. They're the most powerful messages that we need to keep advocating for. And to hear a medical professional such as yourself doing that, um, it's really inspiring. So, I just. Um, I just hope you continue with that, which I know you will. And I want to. I want to ask you one more question: Is what would you say to young doctors? who are entering the profession at this stage 
in the world? What would you say to them now as they enter? Well, I'd say, look, uh, there's a lot of things I'd say, but let, let me see if I can say those on record. <laughs> uh, no, but, but I it's think, a big question. But... No, I, I think the one thing that I would um, tell them is that arrogance would be your worst enemy. Uh, yeah. Because you. if you're arrogant you. about anything, if you're arrogant about knowledge, if you're arrogant about the position that fortunately or unfortunately comes with being a doctor in, in, in today's society, if you're arrogant about your place in the fabric of society, if you're arrogant about the science that you have mastered, um, that'll be your downfall. I mean, gotcha. there was, there was, um, I mean, sure, I mean, when I was, you know, a medical resident, you know, 20 years ago, I mean, there were times when I felt pretty good about myself. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. And then, yeah. and, uh, you know, were there instances where I was bordering on arrogance? I'm sure there was, but, I don't but, believe um, it. but, but fortunately, <laughs> I think rather, rather quickly, I managed to, uh, I've been blessed to kind of view things with an open mind. And um, and I think that is that is what I would um, caution the young doctor of today is because there is a tendency to measure uh, your aptitude as a doctor by how well you do on on standardized tests. Okay. And, and it couldn't be and it couldn't be couldn't be further from the truth. And this is not sour grapes. I mean, anyone can access. You know, I had performed extremely well in standardized tests. So it's not a case where I couldn't do tests that Dr. Changa is saying tests don't count. No. Yeah. I mean, I was, at every standardized test I took, I was, I was extremely successful. But but I'm the first <laughs> to say that if that's the measure of how good a doctor you are, then, then we're all in trouble. Because gotcha. um, you are supposed to be treating human beings and if you don't have a connection with your fellow beings, you will not be a good healthcare provider. I mean, that's that's. Thank you. So, um, so invest invest in relationships. Invest in getting to getting to know where people are coming from. And empathy is a huge, huge, huge component. You know, it's not taught, right? It's not taught, and I know that actually in a lot of. Uh, Schools nowadays, empathy is taught, I don't know if that's possible, but it is actually discussed from a very young age. But it's Amazing. not necessarily done in medical school, you know, except there might be right. a small course in, you know, in, in effective communication or whatever. But, but it hardly does justice because if I'm a patient, I have all the information that my doctor needs to help me. But yeah. if I don't give that information to my doctor... Um, voluntarily or if I don't know how to give that patient information to my doctor um, because I feel uncomfortable, because I feel threatened, because I feel insecure, then then everyone's lost. Everyone has lost even before we've started. Oh, man, it's so good. Because um, that was one of the first things I noticed about you. You're so accessible and approachable. Well, you, and I mean, you make you do make yourself quite accessible to people uh, I don't know if that's been to your detriment <laughs> because I'm sure, and I have actually witnessed times where you've been bombarded, which, 
I have. Yeah, I mean, I've actually referred friends to you at the last minute, and uh, you always answer the phone. It's just beautiful. But um, there, it's really nice that how approachable you are, and I think that's a real um, testament to your character. And uh, also, you have this really beautiful, simplistic way of explaining things in layman's terms, so they're easily understood. Um, which again makes makes people feel like they can maybe uh, you can probably go deeper and, uh, and and express yourself so you're understood a little bit better. So thanks, thanks, Doctor. I appreciate it. Thank you, Shannon, and and uh, really really happy to to chat with you and and. Uh... Uh, it's it's. I can't tell you how how happy I am to to connect with you and, and to spend time with you. I I love it, man. I, like I said when I when I first when you were my second guest on the show, I was like, let's do this, let's do this, you know, more regularly. Uh, because I also know that you are part of a, an online consultation service. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about that? What you guys do? Um, sure. So there's a, there's a few different things that we do. Um, you know, we provide uh, a medical advocacy service for for um, expats who are who are living in in uh, in Asia, and um, and that's because you know by definition, when you're an expat, you're in a health system that's that you're not very familiar with, and okay. you know, we we just help people navigate through through those systems. So. Because there's a, there's a vast oh, okay. information gotcha. gap. There's probably a vast uh, communication gap, especially when you're in another country, uh, a totally different environment. So if you know if, if someone's tummy hurts, you know that could be a simple case of you know something <laughs> you ate yesterday, or it could be appendicitis. So so then how do you okay. you know where do you go with that? So so we we help people navigate um, through those issues. So that's one thing we Thank do. And, Online. Um, yeah. Online and, and through through video and, and and we are very we are very clear that we will work with your doctors on the ground because we we don't pretend to be you know providing doctor services remotely. It's just yeah. you know walking you through uh, what needs to be done and what seems reasonable and and making sure that nothing's uh, kind of inadvertently missed. So That's it's cool, uh, it's kind of having a, a friend on your side to. Who is an expert in in the field to kind of walk you through uh, your journey when it comes to an illness and get you back into health? And uh, That's great, man. so just to help guide people and uh, and yeah, keep them safe when they're in um, right. you know I guess un- unfamiliar environments. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. It's amazing. Now listen, I as you, as you know, Changa, I ask all guests to come to the show with a cause. So if you have a cause that you'd like to support or advocate for today, aside from probably the many that you probably are involved with, is there one in particular that you'd like to talk about? Sure. There's, there's actually one, Shannon, and uh, when, when I came back to Sri Lanka um, after spending you know, 25 years overseas, um, I one of my my best friend here, he's he's uh, still very much uh, the athlete, um, you know, even even at, at forty five. So, so I right. I would go to uh, I would go to meet him uh, at his training, and then I I saw these other student athletes who would come to train, and uh, you know being there for a while, I I realized that some of these athletes who are extremely gifted, I mean these are athletes who would probably get a medal at at the South Asian Games at you know uh, in the next 
couple of years. Uh, with that much talent, uh, there was um, some of them were in in extremely dire social and financial conditions. Uh, be it you know not have a permanent place to call home, or be it uh, unable to afford medications for their health crises, or you know unable to find transport or even food on a, on a regular basis. So, but but their passion was you know training and and running and 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 participating in 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 the one thing that probably made them feel confident that that made them feel that um, that look if I do this really well I have a chance. So they would, they would at all, at, you know, at all costs, they would come and train and do give give of their absolute best. So I, so I would see this, and then then it it really inspired me to to try and uh, help these athletes to 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 get to a better place. So I just tapped into my network of of uh, of uh, friends and fellow professionals, and 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 we we created a process where we would. You know, vet the financial needs of of each athlete, and then um, connect them with with uh, with uh, people who were willing to actively engage with them and 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 sponsor them financially. So um, so everything's extremely transparent. You know, all the the accounts yeah. are, are transparent. We just link a deserving athlete with uh, an individual or a group of sponsors. So that basic needs like food, transportation, medication. Um, Amazing. So, uh, so what's that called? Wings. It's called Wings, yes. It's a simple name that kind of underscores what we're trying to do. We're trying to lift people up and, um, help, Amazing. and help them you know, be the best version that, that of themselves that they could be. And you know, it, we'd hate for uh, uh, you know, a hard-working, talented uh, 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 student, you know, these are all school-age children, for them to be limited yeah. because of resources or finances. So that's what we're trying to uh, create a, a level playing field by by uh, addressing those deficits. So cool, man. So how can people um, help out and support that? Uh, well, um, what I could do is I could send you uh, some information. Uh, you know, we've, yeah. we've just started out very, very uh, on, on a very small scale, and I've just reached out to people that I know, and, and the support has been tremendous. Uh, so I'll I'll send you some um, some information about that, so that the listeners could awesome. uh, could learn more about that if if they wanted to. That's awesome, and I'll um, I'll put that link and any information that you send me in um, Dr. Changa's episode show notes. And you can listen to Dr. Changa's episode, this episode and past episodes via uh, TerribleHappyTalks.com. And there's also a bunch of links to other platforms that this podcast is published on, such as Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio and Google Podcasts. And um, yeah, that information will follow Dr. Changa's episode around, so um, feel free to share the episode or subscribe um, on any of those platforms so you get the little notification thingy when I publish an episode, which is every single Sunday morning, um, every week. So, Changa, listen, brother, I've got a present for you. And um, I know that I'm in Australia and you're in Sri Lanka, but um, the um, IndoSol Footwear, the sponsors of the show, will be sending you a pair of flip-flops or slides that are made from repurposed motor vehicle tyres. 
So uh, I'll have to get your shoe size and they'll be in the mail for you, Doctor. Um, and being in the tropics, I'm sure you could use a pair of those. Oh, that would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're on the way. I'll, have to, I'll, get your, I'll get your postal address before we get off the line today. And also, um, you, you get the Terrible Happy Talks Circle logo sticker, which I give to all guests. And I only give them to people that have been on the show. And back when I started this podcast, I didn't have those stickers available. So I owe you a few stickers, which I'll also post you in the mail because you are definitely an alumni of the show. And hopefully you can be a regular feature on the show. Uh, we can do this we can do this on a consistent basis because you have so much wisdom and knowledge to put out in the world. And you give your time and your and your and your energy so so willingly. And I think myself and a lot of other people will be profoundly grateful for that. So thank you, sir. Thank you, Shannon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.